This episode of Inside the Castle was recorded in front of a live studio audience. Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm your host today, Aaron Schlein from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Sacramento District. Today's episode of Inside the Castle is part of a series focused on career development within the Army Corps of Engineers. The goal for this series is simple to share proven skills and strategies to help our USACE teammates move their careers and the nation forward. Hey there, it's Aaron, and I'm happy to bring you another episode of Inside the Castle featuring insights from early career employees in the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. This episode actually features four of those early career employees from districts around South Pacific Division. And this episode was recorded live in person Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022 at the South Pacific Division Planning Workshop in Sacramento District. We had about 45 people in the room for this panel discussion and a similar number of folks tuned into the live stream on WebEx and we recorded everything that happened right there in the room. And because we were working without a safety net, Those technical glitches did get the best of us in the very beginning, but only for a very brief couple of minutes. The first couple of minutes of this recording, quite frankly, are not very good, but things do improve very quickly. If you can make it to that about two minute mark, things improve for the rest of the episode. So I really hope you enjoy this. Like I said, this was recorded live in front of an audience with real people at our South Pacific Division planning workshop held right here in my hometown at the Sacramento district. Really hope you enjoy this one. Here we go. Well, I'm going to go ahead and introduce my, my panel here. I'm going to start on my far right, Christian Lowe, a military brat who was born in Guam, who lived in Virginia, England, and Rancho Cordova. <laughs> Mather Air Force Base. As well as Elk Grove before moving to Southern California. Chris earned a bachelor's and a master's degrees from the California State University and a PhD from UCLA. Chris says, go Bruins. <laughs> Chris has been at SPL for almost two and a half years as a biologist in planning division. Prior to joining USAID's, Chris was a shark and fish conservation geneticist, studying the evolution and population connectivity of regionally and globally distributed species. Chris loves bad horrors, horror and sci-fi movies. The dude... <laughs> movie trivia and Batman is way better than Superman says Chris, Chris Chabot thank you Eric. Jess Gisler grew up in Kansas City, Kansas earned a BS in anthropology from Kansas State University and a master's in applied anthropology from Mississippi State University Jess worked as an archaeologist for the Forest Service for 10 years before starting with the Albuquerque District of USAC nearly three years ago. Jess enjoyed Disney, pub, trivia, and travel. Jess Gisler, welcome. Nikki <laughs> Schleter, right here from SPK, my home district. Nikki grew up near Sacramento, went to CSU Sacramento, graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Studies in 2015. Nikki started working in the planning division in September of 2019. And the environment, is the environmental manager for the American River Common Features, Sacramento River Erosion Contract to and the offset mitigation. That's a mouthful. 
She lives in Orangeville, California. And when she isn't working or doing chores around the house, she is traveling. Is this better or are we going to, is this making, this might make feedback because I got it. I'm going to turn this other one off. Better, better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank goodness. Okay. Where do I leave off, Nikki? We have Sasha Voigt, who joined the Corps in 2018 as an economic student trainee, and after graduating with a master's in applied economics, she came on board full-time as a regional economist based in SPN. In her spare time, she enjoys hiking with her dog. I can hear myself coming out of somebody's phone. Oh, no, that's okay. That's great. She enjoys hiking with her dog and dabbling in MMA. And that's where we're going to start, Sasha. Oh, gosh. <laughs> not gonna, I'm not asking for any sort of demonstrations or anything, but let's talk about dabbling in MMA. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, I just recently started. Um, I did a little bit of jiu-jitsu when I was younger. I actually have a black belt in Taekwondo. Um, <laughs> so I've been doing that on and off yeah, all my life. Um, and I just recently started MMA and I think it's like my third week. So I'm just learning again, relearning. Yeah, I mean, what else is there? <laughs> well, if anybody needs to bring Sasha to one of her PDT meetings to keep everybody calm. <laughs> right. So let's dig into some of the more the, the meatier questions here. And these are really get at the heart of what I would like to get out of this panel and hopefully everyone in the room, regardless of where you are on the, the career spectrum. But I want to start with you guys. I want to talk about your expectations. And we'll start with you, Chris. When you joined the Corps of Engineers, what were your expectations when you started for the type of career that you might be getting yourself into? And how have those expectations changed over time? So my expectations, I was, I was recruited actively actually by my best friend. I was told that I was going to be busy. I was told that I was going to be dealing with bureaucracy. And I also had this thought that I'm a conservation geneticist. So for a big part for me was actually conserving species. And all my research was about threatened and endangered sharks and wraith and fishes. And so that was a really big deal. And so this person convinced me that, you know, we can do this at the core. We can actually protect things and work with other agencies. Cool. Um, so realization, yes, I am very busy. The bureaucracy is way more than I ever <laughs> So, I mean, it, it, I didn't realize... Sorry, Chris, we're out of time. We've got to move along. <laughs> so this, this was all basically the idea was that it's, it, takes, it does take a village. You have to work with so many people. And I didn't realize you had to go through so many levels to actually even just get a form signed. And that was quite a, a, an eye-opening experience. Uh, as far as the conservation side of it, um, don't really feel as much like we're conserving in the sense I was thinking. Uh, it's more of doing what we can do to minimize the impacts of these species, which is also, I think, very important. Awesome. Well, thank you. I don't want to leave Sasha waiting any longer to answer the next question. Let's answer the same question, rather. We started with the core a few years ago as a student trainee. What were you expecting when you came in? How did you get plugged into that job in the first place? And what were your expectations coming in? I was, one day I was looking at USAjobs.gov and I saw the application. So I applied and I got it. Um, honestly, I didn't have that many expectations or I didn't know what to expect because I was just out of college. Um, it was my first job. I really wasn't sure what it would be like, but I did think there was going to be a lot of red tape, which there is. <laughs> um, but overall, it's been a great learning opportunity. Um, that's also kind of what I expected. 
I expected not to know a lot of things that the core did. And over time, working with my mentors, working with um, my supervisor kind of helps guide me in the right directions. And so it's exceeded all my expectations thus far. Well, there's enough red tape to cover this table here. <laughs> Moving on to Nikki, expectations coming into the job. So very similar to Sasha, I, this is my first professional job. I had no idea what to expect from working in a Cuba land, from being in a gigantic building in downtown where my mom refused to go because she had to drive on the freeway. And, um, but just coming in, being me, being positive, and taking every opportunity that I was given to learn. Um, more similar to Chris, I had a friend and her mom worked for the Army Corps and she you like this environmental stuff? I told her, yes, I do. And she said, all right, let's go start introducing you to my supervisors. Mm -hmm. So I got really lucky in coming into the Corps. All right, let's move on to Jess with, this, with the same question. Then we'll mix it up a little bit. We're not just going to go round robin with the same questions. We're going to turn this into an actual discussion. Jess, this early, early expectations as a Corps employee. Um, I think that similar to everyone else, I wasn't really sure what to expect when I started working with the Corps. I had a good friend who had worked with me at the Forest Service who had moved over to the Corps and encouraged me to apply for an opening. Um, she talked about just what a wonderful work environment it was and um, she thought that I would enjoy the project work. So I applied and got it and it's very different from the Forest Service in a lot of ways. There's a lot more um, of a formal planning process than the Forest Service has. <laughs> um, but I definitely appreciated that. It's been wonderful to get to work on such big teams. Let's turn out to our audience here with a quick question because well, Nikki and Jesse both talked about sort of hearing, kind of hearing through the grapevine, if you will, about, about the core. Folks in the audience, going back to the beginning of your career, whenever that was, put your hand up if you specifically targeted the Corps of Engineers as a place to work. I'd say a third of the room, roughly. So coming in, we talk about supervisors. You touched on supervisors a little bit. As a first-line supervisor now, I'm very interested in the answers to these questions. And Sasha, I want to start with you since I'm apparently going to be your supervisor pretty soon. <laughs> But legit, <laughs> when you first started with the core, what were your expectations of your supervisor and how those expectations evolved over time? Uh, I guess I expected daily check-ins, um, which seems like a lot right now. Um, but maybe like weekly check-ins. Um, I, like I said, I didn't have that many expectations to begin with. Um, but what I really enjoyed um, my supervisor doing was teaching me on the job. Um, I would, his door was always open for me with any questions that I had. Um, I could always just come in and talk to him about whatever project I was working on. Um, and that proved to be a really efficient way to kind of get on top of that learning curve. Open up to the three of you. Any similar or very different expectations? Sasha was looking for the, like the daily check-ins, for example. Is that a similar type of expectation or do you have something different when it came to your development or how you expected your supervisor to engage with you on a day-to-day -day basis as you were first coming up? 
So I had the unique opportunity to work in a different division before coming into planning. And I really interviewed her staff. I wanted to know who my first line supervisor was and I wanted to know that her staff were happy and safe working for her. Um, I came from a boss who was very kind and also sometimes a little reactionary. I wanted somebody that had a little more level head. Um, and I've not been disappointed. I'm very pleased with my transition. <laughs> Any other thoughts on, on just supervisors in general? What can, what can supervisors, what can people like me and people like Sarah and Aaron and Kim and Alicia, what can we, all, what can we learn about how to best recruit and, and develop, those, develop people in the early stages of their career? Anything to add, Chris or Jess? I think for me, I just was really expecting my supervisor to be a guiding hand to be able to share their experience to make my transition, because going from an academic world to the core was jarring, uh, to be able to support me and help me be productive and feel integrated into the team. Uh, my supervisor did that very well, so that was an issue. I think I did expect consistent interaction, but COVID hit. It's been different for everybody, and so I don't think I really have a really good grounded idea as to how that should play out. But I do have to think that, you know, Tiffany, my ERB chief, and Haley, and Chris Solick, I mean, I bug them all the time. So there's no issue with that. It's a very nice teamwork. You mentioned COVID, of course, which we're, what are we, two, two plus, two plus a little bit, yeah, March 13th, 2020 is when we all went home. So simple math would say that m the majority of the four of your careers have been spent during maximum telework, is that, is that fair to say? So talk to me about relationship building, not just with your supervisors and mentors, but just your colleagues in general. How has the pandemic and just the, the, the general overwhelming nature of starting with the core, how has that impacted your ability to connect with the fellow human beings that you work with? I'll start with you, Nikki. Uh, I feel like it really helped having my supervisor pull all of us into a meeting and share cameras. Um, also, I don't hesitate to ask anybody dumb questions. If your light is green, I'm going to hit you up on Teams and I'm going to ask my dumb question because sometimes our guidance documents are so thick and I don't know where to start all the time. So even if I can just get a reference number from somebody to start digging in, um, I'm going to ask. So I didn't have quite the same struggle. Uh, I had about the first maybe six months in person to get to know faces, which I'm sure also helped. Well, not everybody is assertive as you, Nikki, it sounds like. What advice would you give to someone who is less likely to just pick up the phone and, and call that person that they might not quite feel comfortable with yet, even if they're light screen? You're not in a box. You don't have to do it yourself. Um, also, nobody's going to tell you, nobody's going to be mean if you call them. <laughs> I've not had anybody be rude. The most is, I'm really busy. I'm right in the middle of something. Let, you, let me call you back. And usually they do. Usually. <laughs> any, any other challenges or, or experiences that you'd like to share about just general relationship building with your colleagues as a new employee? Um, icebreakers are great. <laughs> so yeah, I started in December. So you can imagine what that's like. Uh, Christmas party, retirement, retirement, retirement parties. So it was just party after party after party. I'm like, this core is the best. <laughs> I mean, it's just free food and just get to hobnob and meet everybody. People coming down. It was awesome. Ed DeMason and I would always joke. It's, it's just like, well, Chris, I'm not another party. I'm sorry. So it was, it was a good thing. So that was actually really nice. But then the, then the entire building just was evacuated. It was empty. It, December. It's Christmas. And so then I'm sitting there with uh, Chris Solick, who was once again being there with me and taking care of me, uh, plus a couple of other new hires. We had this whole building in downtown LA to ourselves. So there was a lot of interaction, which was nice. 
Uh, but then COVID hit. And so a big part of it, I think, for me building teams was, like you had said, reaching out to people. I mean, I, I've never been rebuffed. Um, I kind of have that personality where I'm just going to ask anyway uh, and go for it. And so it's been a very positive experience. And I would recommend that to anyone. What's the opposite of rebuffed? Is it buffed? <laughs> so you, so you're, you're regularly, you're buffed, not rebuffed. Well, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> Well, I think we can all relate to that. For those of us, at least, who started our careers in the office, that first December, when you don't have any leave yet, you're in the office by yourself. <laughs> yep. Had some great sunsets. <laughs> yeah, Chris, we hear you're the acting chief of planning today. <laughs> so let's talk about training, developmental opportunities. I wanted to hear about some of the some of the opportunities you've had, but more specifically, the ones that you felt were particularly impactful, those you can feel free to call out specifically by name, individuals involved. But I also want to hear if you have any examples of stuff that maybe wasn't quite as productive or as impactful. And I also want you to name names on those too. Start with you, Jess. Some of the, some of the training, some of the programs, doesn't have to be formal training, just developmental opportunities you've had in the first few years that you felt were either particularly useful or not so useful. I guess I've had two prospect courses so far with the core, and I felt like those were a really good learning opportunity, um, but also kind of challenging since most of them um, were virtual. I think from that, I feel like the only other adult training that I've done is uh, LDP1. That was a good experience. I actually did get to do that in person right before COVID hit. Um, we read a book together and discussed uh, the different chapters. I was a little bit disappointed in the book, to be honest. I, <laughs> I hated the book. <laughs> um, leaders eat last, Simon Sinek. Yeah, um, out of 44 case studies of leadership in that book, zero featured a woman. So I did not like that. Fair. <laughs> well, Simon Sinek, believe it or not, well, not really a Ripley's believe it or not question, but just coincidentally would be a better way to say it was the first guest on the Inside the Castle podcast and how the whole podcast came to be. They did a, I think it was a virtual engagement and they, they got him to speak and they interviewed him and they published it. And that was the genesis of the podcast. So I say all that to say we have a connection. I think we need to have a conversation with Mr. Sinek. <laughs> He's the start with why guy, isn't he? So yeah, start with why we need more women in that book. <laughs> <laughs> Developmental opportunities. And it can be as simple as day to day. Things like just how to do your job, how, how to take, how to handle the technology in your life. Any particular, any particular programs in your, in your home districts and your home planning divisions that were particularly useful or not useful. Let's go to you, Nikki. So we had a lot of the overhead training, switching to planning is very different than being in regulatory. And we had a lot of the big picture overarching plan formulation trainings, but we didn't really have a lot of PED training. Army jargon alert. Army jargon alert. Army jargon alert. The abbreviation PED in Corps of Engineers speak stands for pre-construction engineering and design. We didn't really have a lot of PED training. Um, there was a lot of things that we didn't know, or maybe I missed. 
you're running around asking questions. I am bugging other staff that have been there, you know, six months, same amount of time as me. <laughs> and they don't know they haven't had an answer yet. Was it Christmas time? No. <laughs> um, I did start in September, so close. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the prospect is very pointed and specific, and I have enjoyed them. But the overarching how to come in, where to start, just kind of what do all these new acronyms mean? Besides being handed a 20-page sheet of letters, I feel like we could do a little better. When people listen back to this podcast, I, I just started a new feature on the most recent episode. I call it the Army Jargon Alert. Rather than stopping my guests and say, hey, would you spell out that weird acronym you just used? I just pop in with, and then I explain whatever the person just said. So I'm going to get an Army Jargon Alert for you on PED. Performance enhancing drugs, of course, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sasha, let's talk training. Yeah, um, honestly, I felt that on-the-job training was probably the most beneficial for me, just because in the prospect courses, often you have everything just packaged really neatly, and everything just happens to work. Um, but in real life, that's not the case. So figuring it out on the job is definitely useful information because it doesn't compile all the time. And you have to use your problem-solving skills and figure out, okay, why is this error happening? So yeah, I think that would be it. Chris, anything to add or subtract from that? I don't know sure, how you would subtract I'll, anything. But. <laughs> I'll go in two directions. As far as formal training, I haven't had a lot. Uh, I've had two PCCs, uh, PCC1 and PCC2. Army Jargon Alert! PCC stands for Planning Core Curriculum, which is an essential and mandatory series of training courses for core planners. Uh, I've had two PCCs, uh, PCC1 and PCC2. I think PCC2 is, I think, in in theory, is a good course. For me, though, and, and the facilitators were great. They, they were definitely there and very helpful. The issue I had with that course was it was filled with uh, acronyms. It was a lot very quickly, and it was all virtual because, once again, we're COVID. So, I mean, I'm not sure how it's supposed to work normally. But I think also, I think for a lot of my colleagues, I was fortunate to have been on a, a complicated feasibility project. So for me, a lot of the concepts were kind of crystallizing with that course. I at least had the experience. I think for a lot of my colleagues, they had no clue what we were talking about, what was going on. And I think that it, it just, the timing of it didn't seem right for that. I think that they should have the training before or be kind of integrated with both. Or like I said, I don't have a, an actual answer for you, but it just didn't seem to mesh. That was the issue. I think being on a, a PDT for a feasibility study, it, it's very eye-opening. It's like, hey, I went through all these steps. I know the vertical team. I, oh, I get this now. So that was a big part of it. As far as personally development, I got to serve as a PM, interim PM for two months as a GS11 biologist. That was fun. Uh, I've done some cost engineering, which they've tried to recruit me. I never thought I would like cost engineering. So that was pretty cool. I have did an emergency deployment. Very eye-opening. So the Dixie Fire was up there uh, for a FEMA mission. So that was really cool. So, yeah, I mean, it's been some really good developmental opportunities. Any other deployments on the panel? Where'd you go, um, Sasha? I went to Chico. I think it was 2021 or 2020. Pretty recently. Pretty recent, yeah. yeah. So let's focus on just the two of you. I want to tell Sasha with you, and then we'll go back to Chris. How did, how did that impact your development? Did it have any translation back to when you got back to real life post-deployment? I was definitely um, a little overwhelmed at first um, by the long hours, 
and I remember I had a lot of other work to do on the side, so I was just working for 15 hours a day. <laughs> but um, it made me learn to, I guess, prioritize my work better, um, and that's something that I brought back to the district. Chris? I don't think it really affected my work more. It just kind of, once again, working with a different group of engineers because you're dealing with a different team out on emergency deployment and being part of that team was a very eye-opening experience. Uh, I think for me, really f what it did for me was it, it gave a lot of what I'm doing, a lot of extra worth beyond what I'm doing at the district. It, it just, it, it really gave a sense of pride. I was happy to do what I could do and, and integrate myself as much as I could into that process. And I want to do it more. Sasha, I just want to close the loop on the, the long hours. You referenced the long hours. And anyone who's done an emergency deployment likely knows. But tell us, what, what were those long hours you worked during your deployment? It was like 12 hours a day or something like that. How many that? days a week? Six. That's, that's <laughs> a lot of work. A lot of hiking, which I guess is good. But. but you got a nice pair of boots out of the deal, I hope. I did. <laughs> I'll follow up on that too, Aaron. I think for mine, it was basically starting at 6.30 in the morning, driving to the fire sites, doing... Uh, NEPA evaluations of the sites and then we would come back we'd be working until almost 10 o'clock at night almost every night and it was writing reports 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 to churn those out as quickly as possible to get them to FEMA so they could act on them so it, it yeah it's a long hours and very yeah, intense intense and real rapid rapid fire pardon the pun so I want to kind of put a, like a line in the sand a little bit for the conversation we spent the first little bit here talking about the past about their experiences up to this point. I want to take a little break to see if there's any questions from the audience. We go all the way around. Anyone wants to ask a question about the experiences of the panel during the first few years of their career? Kevin, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to hand you this microphone. Thanks. Kevin Harper, branch chief with the Environmental Resources Branch at Sacramento and Planning Division. I've mentored a lot of people in different agencies because mentors have always been important to me. They're the ones that kind of got me to where I am today. Um, my question to you all is, would it benefit the Corps to have something that's more formal in the sense of like having an ambassador or a mentor or a counselor that's assigned to every new person coming on? I find that we, we're kind of hit and miss. And I just wonder if we need a more formal program around that because it's daunting to understand the policy and regs that we're all faced with every day and how they change each year. But just wanted to ask the panel that. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Nikki, start with you. I think mentorship really does need to be evaluated. I love the idea of a formal agreement, even if it's like, you know, maybe you don't lose your job over it, but something to hold each other accountable along the way. I would love to see NLCC for mentorship. Army jargon alert! The abbreviation LCC stands for Labor Charge Code. It's what us core employees use to fill out our timesheets. Every hour that we work must be accounted for and charged to a labor charge code. And what Nikki is suggesting here is that every individual who is in the position to serve as a mentor will have an LCC assigned to them specifically for mentorship so that they can take the time to mentor junior employees without worrying about how they're going to fill up their timesheets. I would love to see an LCC for mentorship rather than trying to have the new person scope in the mentor that they've never met, never done scope before. I had a good mentor. As you said, my, man, like my supervisor was also very open. Sometimes it's not the same. There's little things that slip through. Joelle, are you our note taker this session? Did you write down LCCs for mentoring? Thank you. <laughs> I saw there was a couple other hands. Anybody else want to comment before I 
ask for the hands to go back up. So I would say simple answer is yes. There should be a formalized way of handling mentoring. Uh, I had a mentor. I failed as a mentee uh, in that situation because I expected mentors to kind of guide me through the whole process and have a lot of consistent interaction. But to me, I didn't understand what was on that person's plate. They obviously already had their own job. and They were extremely busy. And so for me, I didn't feel as though I, I didn't communicate well enough myself as to what I thought was expected and what should happen. And I think as a result of that, I, I failed in that regard as a mentee because it goes both ways. I've since rectified that. Cynthia Fowler is my mentor now, and I chose her because she knows what she's doing. And I want that interaction between headquarters, the district, and the division. And I think she's going to be great for that. And I hope to offer her things as well. Quick show of hands talking about the mentor-mentee relationship. Whether it's as a mentor or a mentee, when you're entering into that relationship with another person, do you regularly identify a specific goal, something that you're looking to accomplish as either a mentor or a mentee? Tina, you have, and yes. you map out a plan, presumably, to achieve that goal. You want to talk about it? Yes, please. So, hi, Tina Teed. And so, uh, I actually, when I am serving as a mentor, I have a an agreement um, template that we work out, and I ask the protege to please help me understand what their goals are and lay out for themselves, like you were talking about, how frequently do you want to meet? Of course, we then talk about our duration they help me with that. And then we uh, set up some specific objective. And then I put it back to the protege and say, okay, now would you please schedule our meetings and schedule what topic you want to discuss and help bring it back to which objective you're asking me to work with you. And so that way I can prepare. I like that. And I think it really gets to, to Chris's point about everyone being so busy on both sides of the equation. There's an accountability piece that may be missing in certain mentor-mentee relationships. Let's take a question from Jerrica. I'm going to bring you the mic so the folks at home can hear you. And this is for anybody that is a mentor out there. I want to encourage you, if you are mentoring any new or experienced employees, be a champion for your mentee. That has been the biggest uh, opportunity for developmental assignments and things like that is coming directly from mentors who are saying, look, I got this person here that, you know, they got a lot of uh, experience or they got just a wealth of knowledge. They're open. They're, they're open to learning and things of that nature. Be a champion for your, your person. And so, you know, I want to encourage anyone that's coming on board. If you do get a good mentor, meet with them regularly. I regularly talk to uh, my mentors and I have several. I diversified more me my mentor portfolio is what I call it. <laughs> so, you know, I have from commanders all the way to division folks or whatnot. So diversify your mentor portfolio. Don't be afraid to just walk up to people and say, hey, I'm looking for a mentor. You got some time? Sometimes they'll say, yeah. So don't be afraid to speak up. The mentor portfolio, that's kind of like the modern day Rolodex, <laughs> if you will. Cynthia. I just want to point out, from my understanding, Colonel Gant is going to require that all GS-14s and above formally mentor someone. So if you are younger and you want a mentor, I think you should uh, reach out to some of the folks that are at that level and develop those relationships. I have a great time mentoring Chris, and he's done a lot for me as well. Um, just like my slides, I send him my slides for this presentation, and he'll look them over and edit them and find all my errors. And it's just a really great relationship. So I encourage encourage you to look into uh, those opportunities over. Thanks, Cynthia. We'll move on here. We've got about 10 minutes left in our session. And if we have a little bit of time, we'll take a couple more questions at the end. But I want to talk now more about the future. Here we are. 
you're all a few years into your career. I'd like to know, based on all your previous experience up to now, we'll start with you, Jess. What's your perceived potential for a long-term career in the Corps of Engineers? I think that right now I could really see myself having a long-term career with, uh, with USACE. The person that I replaced um, in archaeology in our section had retired after a 30-year career and just uh, really loved the agency and their mission and found a lot of fulfillment out of the job, and I think that I, I do as well. I'm going to dig in a little deeper with you, though, about maybe some specifics or like maybe some individuals. Maybe they're in this room. Maybe they're not. But people who you can see, like, I could see myself in that position someday. I like what that person is doing and that contribution that individual is making. Do you have a person like that or some sort of a North Star in any way of where you'd like to head or are you still feeling things out? I'm still kind of feeling things out, I think. Um, I took on a new role in January. I became one of our senior archaeologists, so I'm still adjusting to that role. Nikki, long-term career with the Corps, what do you think? So I have two angles here. Um, when I first started, I absolutely was going to stay. Um, I got in, this is a career many people try most of their career to get in, and I was lucky to be here. Now I've met more people in higher positions that have multiple agencies of experience under their belt. They're able to pull from the county, from the city, from Fish and Wildlife Service, and provide all of that to their team to support folks. So I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> That's perfect. We really should just leave it there, but no, let's move on. Sasha, long-term potential or, and or people or situations that you can see yourself in someday. I definitely see myself as continuing to learn. I love the type of work that we do, the different types of projects uh, just always keep me really interested. I worked with the CAP Center for a little bit on the economics, and um, ideally I could see myself potentially transitioning more into that role. How about you, Chris? I think the core is stuck. As the youngest me. person on the panel, what do yes, you think? Yes, I was going to say, late career. I, I would say I think the core is stuck with me for the foreseeable future. Uh, <laughs> I, I do feel valued by my district. I do feel important. I feel respected uh, that I'm a part of a team and a family. It's huge. I mean, that, that to me is one of the most important things. Even if it's a bad day and the decisions don't go the way you want, I still know that I'm part of a family. And that, that means a lot to me. Long term, uh, I would love to be a chief. I'm not going to say what level. <laughs> but I mean, ultimately, I like leadership. I like to kind of help those who I can help. So uh, it's something, the direction I would like to go. But it's still going to be nebulous. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up either. All right. All right. Last question. And here's kind of the context of it. Like what, what I'm doing right here, right now, interviewing this panel, doing all the audio visual for this, for this workshop, hosting a monthly podcast. Those are just things that I really like to do. It's a chance to use some of the experience and and skills that I've picked up in other areas of my life. And I get to actually get paid for it and incorporate it into my day job, which to me, I still kind of pinch myself that I get to be an economic section chief and a podcast host at the same time. <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because I want to ask you guys, do you have a skill or a talent or something that you don't currently get to use that isn't part of your job description, but that you would like for it to be? <laughs> I guess I'll go. Um, ideally, I'd love to use my foreign language skills. Um, I haven't really found an opportunity to do that on the job quite yet, but maybe in the future. Sometime. Awesome. What, what are you doing to let people know that you have those skills? Um, it's just written on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I don't know, maybe I should state that more often. 
French and Russian. So you can pronounce Nikki, special skills or talents that you'd like to see in your job description someday? I love that I get to go out in the field. I feel like I've lost a lot of the skills I gained at community college being trained as a tech to go to Sac State and be trained by a textbook to come here and learn a whole lot about writing. <laughs> so I would love to be more in touch with my ability to identify plants and birds and just time out in the field. How about you, Jess? I can't really think of any skills that I have that I'm not already using. All right, so you got a, you got all the tools you need in your toolbox ready to go to work. What about you, Chris? And we're going to open up to a couple more questions. I, Cynthia had her hand up. We'll try to get to some of those so chats. That's a really tough one. I mean, the last 17 years I spent doing genetics of sharks and permafrosts and all kinds of stuff. And I really don't see how a planning biologist <laughs> can really work that in. Uh, a lot of coding, too. So those are, those are kind of my, my strongest skill sets. I did like how we were discussing earlier that research is becoming a focus, it sounds like for the core, at least more of incorporating current techniques and current technology, because I'll be honest, some of the decisions that have been made from what I've seen don't seem grounded in the most current science. So when you're dealing with U.S. Fish and Wildlife or National Marine Fisheries, they're all cutting edge biologists typically. And so I wonder how I can be incorporated and to contribute to research at the core. I know districts are always sending out uh, calls for where do we need data? And I just don't know how to integrate myself into that or what is within the bounds and what would be acceptable. So I think that kind of guidance would be very helpful for me as an academic. Well, that's awesome. I can say that although he's not a biologist, one of our very own research rock stars is sitting about eight feet away from you. Ricky Oski right here from SPK works in my section. He's regularly dazzles me with his ability to just dive in and pull out the data we need to do amazing things. Ricky Oski, ladies and gentlemen, not on the panel. <laughs> All right, so that, I'm going to draw it there. I hope we got a couple minutes left. Cynthia, I'll go over to you if you've got any questions for us. Yeah, there's one that just came out of the chat. And, uh, there's a lot of discussion on the chat, but I think this is a good question. It's from Ellie Chung. And she writes, as someone who is just starting their second week at the core, it is very comforting to hear uncertainty with expectations and being overwhelmed is normal. For the panel, about how long did it take for you to feel like less of a newcomer and more of a con contributing team member? Ooh. Let's go with Chris. Have I hit that point yet? <laughs> uh, TBD? You're right. No, I, I think that, uh, I think, like I said before, just being part, feeling like a part of a family, being a part of a group is very, very nice. And uh, I've been on PDTs and especially with this feasibility project, I just sit there dumb as a, as a rock saying, I don't get this. I don't know this term. I don't know this acronym. And for me, just asking that question, everyone's always been great. They've always answered my questions. They've explained policy to me even it didn't make sense, uh, you know? And so that's always been nice. Uh, and I, I've, I've had that experience across all my projects. I think that's a, do I feel like an imposter? I don't think so. I think I fit in at this point, but I still have a lot to learn. How's the imposter syndrome down on this end of the table? And this is an honest question. Do you feel like you belong? Do you feel like you're there or do you feel like you're still climbing uphill trying to work your way into the group with the cool kids? <laughs> Because we're the cool kids. <laughs> no, it's real. Um, even though I can hold my own in a meeting and like quote the BO back at people. And Army jargon alert! 
In this installment of the Army Jargon Alert, we're going to talk about the B.O. P.U. Yep, that's what I think about when I hear B.O. But in this case, B.O. stands for Biological Opinion. I can hold my own in a meeting and like quote the B.O. back at people when they're trying to push me further. Like, it's still real. It's still there. B.O. Is my gotta be my favorite army acronym for the army jargon alert. TMA is a close second, but BO is my favorite. We can cut that part out. Yes, absolutely. I'm, a newbie. I'm not. I'm not on the panel, but I'm a newbie, and I have just want to like reframe that question a little bit um, for Ellen and just say like being new and being an outsider at the core is a huge asset and value add to every Ooh. single conversation, and so I think getting comfortable with not knowing and putting yourself out there. Um, but like you have perspectives that people in the room do not have. And like, we need that cross pollination. So just like yeah. embolden yourself in that position. I love it. I'm applause for that. Thanks. I love right, well, Chris. You talked about being part of the family. It's my sincere hope. And I know it's the hope of all the organizers that attending this workshop, participating over the course of this week will help us all feel like more part of a family for better or worse. Sometimes families fight, but guess what? That's part of the, that's part of life. Thanks to everyone for, for paying attention. Thanks to our panel. Thanks to everyone at home for following along and playing along. See you guys later. Thanks for tuning in to Inside the Castle. To provide your feedback or to let us know what you want to hear about next, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. This is Aaron Schlein for Inside the Castle, and I am signing off. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Revolutionary.